This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. Welcome to church and welcome to RSCC and at the movies. I said today, whoever wore the best 90s gear, so I know a couple of you wore some jackets and you got some dresses with some shoulder pads, but we decided, Abby friend, with the whole get up the jacket, the hair, the, the shirt, so if you come get your prize right here, it is a $50 gift card to Greendale Cinema. Hey, right, next time when we say dress up, y'all might want to dress up. You might get a gift card, right? Welcome to church. There you go. All right, hey, we are doing at the movies, and today we're covering uh, the movie. It's, I told you it wasn't really a movie, but it was a movie, um, and I just wanted to cover it. When, when I think of the 90s, I think of that, the uh, Bulls intro song. I, I think of uh, growing up in the 90s. So yes, I was born in the 90s. I was born in 1990. So I, I remember Michael Jordan as a young boy. And when I think of the 90s growing up by Chicago, I think of Michael Jordan and, and the Chicago Bulls. Now I know what some of you may be thinking. You're like, hey, Nathan, uh, why are you doing uh, you know, Michael Jordan? And everybody thinks I'm not a Michael Jordan fan. Listen, I'm not not a Michael Jordan fan. He's just the second greatest basketball player of all time. Like, I, I, we've been through this, right? So, but the documentary, uh, The Last Dance, was a 10-part documentary, and it came out, and when it came out, it was massive, in it? And they were going to release it originally during the NBA Finals, but what they decided to do, what, since there was no sports going on in May of 2020, no live sports, ESPN is, did something that was really smart. They said, what we're going to do is over the next five weeks, we're, gonna re- we're going to release two episodes at a time, so over five weeks, they released two episodes in this documentary called The Last Dance. It was about 10 hours long, and it was the number one TV show all five weeks. And you can watch it on Netflix now. And it, and it chronicles, it, it says it chronicles the Bulls, uh, you know, but it really, it, it's, it's Michael Jordan's documentary. It, it's about Michael Jordan and, and his life. And what it, they're looking at is the Bulls are trying to win their second three-peat. So they're trying to go for the three-peat repeat. They've won three championships. Michael, Rejo- Michael Jordan retired. He, he tried that baseball thing. He did a Space Jam movie. And then he, and then he comes back. And, and then they win two championships. In the last dance, they, cr- they, they videotape the final season that Michael Jordan's on the Bulls. And the reason it's called the last dance is for one reason. Jerry Krause, who is the general manager, says no matter what happens with this team, we're not coming back. Phil Jackson is no longer our coach after this year, no matter if you win the championship or not. Michael Jordan then says, well, if Phil Jackson's not the coach, I'm not playing, because he realized I can't win championships without Phil Jackson. Jerry Krause says, well, it doesn't matter if Michael's coming back or not, or how many you win, because Scotty, you're out of here. Dennis Rodman, you're way too crazy. You're out of here. And we're going to break, basically, over the next several months after the season's over, we're going to rebuild, and we're going to build around Michael Jordan, and we're going to go for this thing again. So the players and the coach say, you know what? This is the last dance. This is our last opportunity to win a championship. So they, they chronicle the season, and there's a lot of dysfunction. You see Dennis Rodman, at one point, he goes off to Las Vegas for a couple days in the middle of the season. You see Scottie Pippen, and he, and he kind of struggles with being the, the Robin to Michael Jordan. You see Michael Jordan's struggle with, with how to be a good teammate at times. And then you also see some other things. You see Michael Jordan growing up um, from Wilmington, North Carolina. You see Scottie Pippen's childhood, how he was not even a Division I you know, be- basketball player. You see Dennis Rodman, and you see the rise 
Rise of Phil Jackson. And it's just an awesome sports documentary. And what you see, what's, what's awesome, is that you see this team. And the glue of the team is really Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson. But, but you see through all of this, all the new players that come in, all the players that leave, all the dysfunction and all the fighting, all, all the chaos, they're still able to win six championships in eight years. And they're an amazing team. Maybe, maybe, maybe the greatest teams of all time. Maybe, right? We, we can get into that argument. But maybe the greatest team of all time. And what we're going to do today is, you know, we're going to kind of stay on this sports theme. We're going to call this a locker room talk. So we're going to talk about the idea of being on a team, being teammates. And it's going to be a family talk, a locker room talk. It's an important issue we need to talk about. So to get on the same playing field, I want to say this. No matter who you are, no matter how tough you think you are, no matter how antisocial you claim to be, no matter how much you claim to not make people, we believe, and I believe, God created us, and we believe God created every single one of us with a purpose, with a meaning that we matter to God, but he created every single human with some basic needs. And one of those needs is the need to belong, the need to be in community, the need to be in teams with one another. We have this, this need, that, this, you know, need, need in our mind where we have to find meaningful connections in life. And we, and we find them in many places. We find them in marriages, in relationships. We find them in friendships. We find them of joining teams in high school or clubs or, or bands. We have the, this need to belong. We have this desire in us. We are hardwired in such a way that we need to belong. And it kind of goes back to Genesis. And we've talked about this before. But it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man. And yes, he's talking about Adam, but he's talking about all mankind. It's not good for man to be alone, for I will make him a helper who is just right for him. It's not good for us to be alone. So we're going to look at that and base, go off that idea. But what, here's what we're going to do. Often I would say the word community, but today, for the sake of the documentary, we're going to say the word team. And what I'm trying to get at is you and I, we were created to live life on a team and to be teammates with each other, right? We're to be teammates with each other. We're to live life on a team, to be teammates with one another. And, and you can see this idea of team or community all throughout the gospel. The greatest team of all time is the, the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all in one, right? And then throughout the Old Testament, what did God do? He says, I'm going to choose to bless the world, or my redemptive plan is going to work through a team, a community called the Israelites. And then Jesus comes onto the scene, and what's one of the very first things he does? He finds 12 disciples, 12 teammates to do ministry with, right? We were created to live life on a team and be teammates with each other. And then when you go back to Jesus' ministry, most of Jesus' earthly ministry was centered around creating a new team, a, a new community that would transcend the barriers of all other earthly teams. Jesus comes onto the scene and he's preaching a new kingdom. He's preaching new morals, a new standard of living, a, a new way to connect with God, that he was the Savior, that he was the Messiah, that he was the one that the Scriptures pointed to. And then he said, I'm going to have a team. I'm going to have a community that follows me. And this team is going to be for everybody. No matter skin color, last name, social class, it's for everybody. And he calls that team the church, right? And I know, I know, I know. Anytime I talk about church at church, people are like, okay, all he's going to do is tell me that I need to go to church more. We can just end this conversation now, right? No, listen, 
That's not what I'm going to do. You're here. So me telling you to go to church more would kind of be like, I'm just talking to the wall, right? You're here already. Most of you realize the importance of going to church, right? You, you realize the importance of it. You realize, you realize it's important for your faith. You realize it's important for your family. So it's not about attendance today. That's not the, the point. It's about engagement, right? The church is never, it's never been about just attendance. It's about engagement. And so we're going to talk about this team of, of how we live on this team, why this team is important, why it matters, what, 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 why Jesus says it matters. But, but to kind of start, we got to be honest, right? So let's start in, with being honest. We're not a perfect team. Just like the Bulls, they were not a perfect team. Michael Jordan went around punching teammates, right? Does that sound like a perfect team? Dennis Rodman, he did all kinds of crazy things, right? Just Google him, right? You'll find some crazy stuff. Scottie Pippen? Didn't always like his role, right? It, it, we're not a perfect team. We're a dysfunctional team. And, and some of our issues, sometimes as a church, just RCC speaking, some of our issues are big. Some of them small. Some of our issues are people in the team with bad attitudes, uh, with how they act outside, the t you know, the team. Right? We're not a perfect church, and there's no such thing as a perfect church. So if you leave here looking for a perfect church, as soon as you think you find that perfect church, as soon as you walk through the doors, it is no longer perfect. Why? Because you're there, right? And we're all flawed. We're all broken. We're, we're all on the same playing field. Every single one of us are sinful, broken, and we need Jesus to save us. And that's why we're here, right? So we're, we're all imperfect, right? We're, we're all far from perfect. And we're not a perfect team because we're not perfect people. Right? We're not perfect people, but here's what we're trying to do. We're an imperfect team trying to point an imperfect world to a perfect Savior. Because we're not perfect. But you know who is? Jesus. And Jesus says, this team matters. And if this team matters to Jesus, this team matters to us. Right? We're imperfect. We're trying to point an imperfect world to a perfect Savior. And Here's what's awesome about the church. And I've said this before, but when the church is as it should be, it's going to be a place where people want to be. When the church is as it should be, think about that. When we're acting the way we're called to live, acting the way we're called to be, it's a place where people are going to want to be. Because we share the greatest news of all time. We share the greatest news of all time that Jesus came to this world to die for each and every one of us. We share that. And when we're a team that's getting that news out and we're acting the right way, it's a place where people want to be. And so so here, here's what's kind of at stake, and here's why we're talking about this. Over the last 18 to 20 months, I've been asked the question over and over and over again. What do we do with all this chaos? What do we do with all this pain? What do we do with all this sin? What, what do we do with all this uh, you know, division in our nation? What is the answer? And, and the answer is so simple and it sounds cliche and it sounds cheesy, but the answer is Jesus, right? What's the answer to all the problems? It's Jesus. The gospel tells us that Jesus is the only hope in this world, right? So here, here's what we're talking about. If Jesus is the answer, how does Jesus often work in this world? Well, Jesus often works through us, the team, in this world, right? So one way that Jesus often works is in this world is through his team, the church. So if Jesus works through us, then don't we have to be the type of team he's called us to be? And, and I started thinking about this and, and you know, kind of reflecting on, on the last dance. And, and uh, I went a little historical in the NBA, so let me give you some NBA knowledge. I know some of you don't like the NBA right now, but 
just bear with me, right? So back in the not, late 80s, when Michael Jordan was first drafted um, out of North Carolina, the NBA, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird were kind of the big stars. Well, going into the 90s, Larry Bird's back is going out. He's older. Magic Johnson eventually gets AIDS. So things start to, to go downhill, and people were really getting tired of watching the Lakers and the Celtics all the time. So the, the NBA was looking for a new star. They were looking for the next Magic Johnson or Larry Bird, and they were looking for the next team that they could promote that would draw people in. And all of a sudden, out of Wilmington, North Carolina, comes this man, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, who no one saw becoming this, this massive star, and he gets drafted to Chicago Bulls, who at the time were not even as popular as an indoor soccer team in Chicago, if you can think about that. Like, it's wild, right? And the Bulls were dysfunctional, and they were a mess. But eventually, Michael Jordan becomes the, the star, right? And then the Bulls draft Scottie Pippen and get Phil Jackson. And then once all these pieces come together, they become this massive team that wins three championships, takes a break, wins another three championships. And in many ways, the Chicago Bulls saved the NBA. Michael Jordan and the Bulls saved the NBA. We would not have the NBA today without Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, right? They saved it. And, and I started thinking about that. If Jesus works through the, the church, and if Jesus is the only answer, what the world around us needs is the church to come together and become the team that Christ has called us to be. That's what we need. So that's why we're talking about this. It's not attendance. It's engagement. It's about becoming the type of team that Christ has called us to be so we can do what Christ has called us to do. So let's talk about it. The word church, or, or if you were to, you would not go find the word church in the original um, Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. You would find the word ekklesia. Ekklesia is a word for church, and it basically means this. It does not mean church. It means to assemble, to gather, or another rough translation is to be a called out community. So it's an it's assembly. It's a gathering of people, right? So that, that's important to remember. It's not, not just a building. It's a gathering of people. And do you know who the first person in the New Testament to talk about the church was? Is actually Jesus. So Jesus was with his disciples and he, they were trying to figure out who Jesus was because he was doing some things that were making them think and he's fed thousands of people. He's done miracles. And they started saying, okay, Jesus, who are you really? And he got, he's like, well, who do you say I am? Well, they give all these answers. Well, some of you say I'm John the Baptist. Some of you say I'm Elijah. He's like, no, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And this is how Jesus responds to him when he says that. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my, what? I will build my church. Whose church is it? His church. He says, I will build my church and all the powers of hell. So COVID, chaos, presidents, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I love that line. He goes, I will build my church. He says, it is my church. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's his church. And he goes, I will build my church. What's that mean? Well, he goes, he, it shows he cares about it. It shows that he wants his followers to be part of it. It shows that there's a purpose and a meaning behind his church. It is Jesus' church. And he goes, I will build my church. Jesus cares about this community. And remember, the church is not a building. It's a gathering. It's, it's a called out community that's called to live a certain way. And Jesus says, you're not going to amaze people 
by your architect. You're not going to amaze people by what you're building in here. We amaze people by how we live out there as a team. Listen, we can have the best service. This could be the best service we've ever had. This could be the best service the church has ever had. And you know the people three streets over who sleep every Sunday in their bed and don't wake up? Guess what? They don't care. They don't care about what happens in here. Right? We need to be excellent in here. We need to have message in here. We need to have some teaching in here. It needs to be amazing in here. But unless we're living like it out there, unless we're bringing the gospel, unless we're living like the team that Jesus called us to be out there, the community doesn't care. Right? We can have an awesome gathering. We can have an awesome building. We have an awesome building. We got awesome services. We got awesome stuff happening here. But it doesn't matter if we're not living a certain way out there. Jesus says, you're, you're my church. My church lives a certain way. And yes, you, we, we gotta have, you got to have your personal relationship with God. Uh, you, you need to have your own personal relationship. And, and you, you, you can't have your parents' faith. You can't have your grandparents' faith. Parents, your kids can't have your faith, right? You've got to pass that on. You've got to show them how to have a faith. You've got to have your own personal walk. But you also need to be involved in this community. And, and someone once said, you may be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. Just think about that. You may be one community away that holds you accountable, that challenges you, that's there for you in the good times and the bad times. And that community may change your destiny. Remember last week we said all of us live somewhere forever. And how you live now determines your forever. A community, this team, a church anywhere could change your destiny forever. Think about this. This is where it gets even crazier. You could be one community, one team away from not only changing your history, your destiny, but your kids' destiny, your family's destiny, your grandkids' destiny, your great-grandkids' destiny. That's my story. How did three kids from a non-Christian home, who's a family who's never gone to church, all end up in ministry? Because a community called the Hersher Christian Church taught them who Jesus was and taught them how to live the way Jesus lived. We need each other. Right? You need a community that's going to hold you accountable. I know it's not fun, but you need it. You need a community that's going to give you sound teaching. You need a community where you can go worship. You need a community that's going to be there for you in the good times and the bad times. You need community. The Bulls, they need the community. Do you know this, Michael Jordan lovers? Michael Jordan never won a championship without Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen. Went from James Worthy to Scottie Pippen. Never won a championship. They need Dennis Rodman in that last three-peat to get the rebounds, play the defense. They need Jerry Krause as much as no one liked him. They needed him to put a team together. They needed a, a dude named Tony Kukoc to come over from Europe to come be a player that they needed. Steve Kerr, when, when he was open and he had the opportunity to shoot, they needed him. And he needed to knock down the shots. Everybody on that team needed one another. And you may not see this. You may not believe it. But we need one another. We need each other on this team. It's, it's so important. And, and I want to say this. This is a side note. But I think it's important to talk about. I, I hear things. And I hear things like, you know, I, I can worship God outside of church. Absolutely. No one ever said you couldn't. Right? No, if you're only worshiping God in church, that's an issue too. Right? We never said you couldn't worship God outside of church. Or you hear people say, well, I don't need the church. And 
With no disrespect, Jesus says otherwise. He says, no, you need a church. And what I, what I see happening in, in people who I went to college with, people who I love, people who uh, I watch, or people who disconnect from this community, what happens is when you disconnect from the team, it often leads to disconnecting from God. When you take away corporate worship, when you take away sound teaching, when you take away gathering together, when you take away accountability, when you take away meeting together with this community, all of a sudden you're going to see that your faith is going to struggle. Because for some people, there's not another place, another, not another time in the week where you even read or hear the words of the Bible. Not another place you, you, you pray or, or sing worship songs. We need this team. And we got to be very careful because disconnecting from the team often leads to disconnecting from God. And that's just the reality of how we're hardwired. Because remember, we were created to live in community and be in community with one another. And it's such a big deal, and as, as you look through the, the New Testament, and when you see letters that Paul wrote, and you see the book of Acts, that's all about the early church starting, you see that they often talk about gathering together as Christians, as believers. And then you see a, a majority of the letters besides what to believe in Jesus and why Jesus is the Savior, why Jesus is the answer to the Old Testament, why Jesus is the answer or the, the sacrifice that God sent to die for us. Besides that, you see much, a majority of the New Testament is written in such a way that it tells us how to live in context of living in a team together, living as ecclesia together, and how we're to live, how we're to be teammates with one another, and why we're to be on that team. And, and Paul, who wrote many letters, he was, he, he was all about that. And Paul would often write to churches and, and the weird names like Ephesians and, and Corinthians. Those are all churches, right? Or, or Thessalonians. Those are all churches. And he writes this letter, two letters, to a church in Corinth that we call 1 Corinthians. And this church is, for a lack of a better word, they're messed up, right? They, they got, they got issues, sexual immorality. They're fighting with each other. They're, going, they're doing things they're not supposed to do. There's all kinds of chaos. And in the middle of this letter that we call um, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, it, it says this. It's called the love chapter. And the love chapter is often a chapter that you, you see at weddings, and it's really cute. And like I have it memorized because I, I've done it so much at a wedding. And probably I would bet you that if you, uh, it, how do you shop at Hobby Lobby? Anybody just do? Okay, I bet you somewhere in your house you got First Corinthians 13, right? Hobby Lobby. It's like love is patient, love is kind, love, love loves coffee or something like that, right? So like it's that. But this is the love chapter, and usually we, we think it's between a husband and a wife, but actually this is how you're supposed to treat the person who's sitting next to you or across the room from you. These are words of how a church, how a team is supposed to act towards one another. So it's that context we're to read this. So as we're reading this, we have to think to ourselves, am I, not am I being this type of spouse, but am I being this type of, type of team member? Would somebody in this team describe me as this? And here's what he says. He goes, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Sorry, that was bothering me. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. Always preserves. Love never fails. That is how we're to act towards one another. But again, these words are so common. It's the Hobby Lobby verse, right? I blame it on Hobby Lobby. And it becomes so common. What happens when something becomes common? It loses its spark or it loses its meaning. So we hear these words. And all of a sudden, we know them so well. We memorize them. That no longer do we let them sink in. 
Paul says, listen, church in Corinth, you guys got all kinds of issues. You're fighting. You got sexual immorality. You got things going on like crazy. But at the core of it, you're not being the type of team that Jesus calls you to be. And here's how you got to act towards one another. And I know people are always, you know, they're like, you guys talk about love too much. Listen, the gospel is all about love. It's all in there. And, it's, it, and until Jesus stops talking about it in the Bible, we're not going to stop talking about it, right? It, it's so important. Paul says, listen, you got to be patient. You got to be kind. You can't envy. You can't boast. Don't, don't be prideful. Don't dishonor others. Man, this one right here. Stop being self-seeking, America. Stop being self-seeking, American church, right? Don't be easily angered. Keep no records of wrongs. Don't delight in evil. Rejoice in truth. Always protect each other. Always trust each other. Always have hopes. Always preserve. Always, love never fails. He said, love each other. And like, this is kind of like a checklist. So we should read this in our personal life. Okay, here's a good section. Here's a bad section. And am I patient? Well, no, not really. So it's a bad section. Am I kind? Okay, maybe sometimes, right? It should be a checklist that we, we evaluate ourselves with. And he's like, you got to love each other. And in the Greek, there, there's three different words for love. And we'll just look at one of them. And the love that Paul's talking about is an agape love. And you hear that often. It's, it's agape love. It's a love that is self-sacrificing. It's a love that looks for the interest of others. Um, biblically speaking, it's the type of love, and you would describe this type of love as Jesus going to the cross for you. And Paul says that is the same love you're to have for people on this team. And really, because if you love people that are like this closest to you, you're going to love people out there like that. It's like, you're to have this type of love. And do you know that the New Testament calls the church the bride of, the, a bride of Christ? Because it matters. And that as a church, as a team, we're to be image bearers or image bearers of Christ. And that means that the church should reflect Christ and its actions that when people look at us, they say, man, they're kind of weird. They sing some songs. They got yellow shirts. They got that You Matter stuff all over the place. But man, do they love each other. Man, if that's what Jesus is like, I want to be part of that. That the church, this team, should reflect Christ and its actions. And you know what happens when the church reflects Christ and its actions? It's a place where people... When, when, we're, when we're living the way we should live, it's all of a sudden a place where people want to be. Right? When the church is as it should be, it's a place where people want to be. When it's not, all of a sudden, you look around and be like, man, when we're, not, when we're fighting, when we're boastful, when we're pride, when pride, you know, pride, we let pride get the best of us, when we're judgmental, when we're hypocritical, why would you want to be part of that? Paul's like, listen, that's not your calling card. Your calling card is be, is be 1 Corinthians 13. Be image bearers of Christ. Reflect Christ in your actions. And he goes, when you do that, guess what? It's a place where people want to be. She's like, you got to become this, this place where it's irresistible, where people want to come in because of how you love and how you act with one another. So that's, where, that's how we're supposed to act. And there's many other ways that you can add in there. But it, it starts with 1 Corinthians 13. But the, so what I want to look at now is, okay, then what is keeping us from being a place where people want to be? What is keeping us from being the type of team 
that Christ has called us to do. And, and to do this, I want to go to a weird section of Scripture um, that we probably want to think about, but it's John chapter 15. It's at the Last Supper, and it's the last time Jesus is with his disciples, and he's talking about uh, that he's going to be gone soon, and he's talking about uh, uh, many other things, but it's the Last Supper where Judas betrays Jesus, and he leaves. But on that last night in John chapter 15, so the Last Supper starts in John 13, goes away to chapter 16, and these are like Jesus' final nights on earth uh, before he's crucified. And listen to what he says, and we'll talk about it. It was, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And he cuts away, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So it'll be, it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself and it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So he's like, listen, boys, I'm leaving soon. And things are going to be tough. I'm going to do something you don't understand yet, but one day you will. He's like, but you need to remain in me. As a team... As disciples, as my followers, remain in me. And he uses this illustration, this kind of, uh, he's like, I, I'm a vine and you're a branch. And you know this, like, if, you know, vines give branches life. He's like, you need to stay in me. And, and if you stay in me, you'll produce fruit. And what, what fruit is he talking about? Well, he, he said earlier, and he goes, people will know you by the way you love one another. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, this is how you love one another. He's like, that's the type of fruit. You, you'll live a life that honors God, that honors me. But you got to remain in me. You got to stay in me because in me is where you find fruit. So you got to stay focused. You got to stay connected to me. And if you lose connection, if you lose focus on me, then you can't bear fruit. And what does the gardener do with fruit that he can't bear? Uh, with branches that he can't produce fruit, he cuts them off. He gets rid of them, right? And then he says, the ones who do produce fruit, I'm going to prune. And so we, then we talk about the principle of pruning, right? And the principle of pruning is this, that God's going to come into your life and he's going to start cutting away things that don't need to be there. And then, then he, he starts cutting away things or that shouldn't be there, that are getting in your way and getting in the way of what? Getting in the way of being image bearers of Christ. So he, he starts pruning and it's called the principle of pruning. And then Jesus basically says, we got to get rid of all the branches on this team, essentially. Get rid of all the branches who don't produce fruit. Why? Because branches that don't produce fruit get in the way of branches that do produce fruit. And soon enough, if you have a bunch of branches that don't produce fruit, you got a bunch of weeds get in the way of branches that do produce fruit. He's like, and what God will do is he will cut them away. And then he's going to prune you. And it's not fun because he's going to cut some things away from you that you don't, that you don't want to be cut away we got to ask ourselves, and, and this is what we ask ourselves as individual followers, but also as a team, collective, because how we live collectively and how we live individually matters to this team. So what we have to ask ourselves is what needs to be cut out of us so we can be the type of church that God has called us to be. Because if we don't break up with what needs to be cut away, guess what happens? There's a breakdown on the team. It's, it's that important. It's that, it's that easy to understand, but it's also, if we don't break up with what needs to be cut away, there'll be breakdown in the team. And if we can't live together as a team, producing fruit, all of a sudden, if you're here and you're not producing fruit, and you may think, well, I'm just being, I don't get things my way, so I'm going to cause issues. God says that that is a very unbiblical mindset. What did God say? He goes, I will cut away eventually every branch that doesn't produce fruit because those branches get in the way of other branches 
producing fruit. So what do we need to break up with that needs to be cut away? Because if we don't, there will be a breakdown in the team. Meaning we'll never be able to accomplish our goal. So, so I thought about this all week. I was like, what do we need to cut away? What do we need to cut away? And there's a lot of things we need to cut away. But I was like, I, I, we, don't, we're, we're, we don't have time to talk about every single thing to cut away. So what do we cut away? And I came up with one, one answer. Through research, through talking, through listening, through being in ministry. That's one answer. And I believe if we can start with this one answer, it's a great place to start. And we'll become effective, much more effective in our community overnight than we are right now. And here it is. Cut away the I get it my way mindset. Remember it says love is not self-seeking. We're taught or we are sold a message in culture by consumerism, by Amazon, by Walmart, by fast food, that you get it your way, right? And most of us, we want it our way. But what happens when this mindset gets into our relationships? Well, marriages fail when one spouse thinks that they're more important than the other and they get what they want and the other spouse has to bend to them. Bands fall apart because of ego and pride. Sports teams, especially modern day NBA, fall apart. Because everybody on the team wants their way. They want their cut. They want their points. They want their assists. They want their rebounds. They want their payday. Churches fail in America because of this. On average, 8,000 churches close their doors every single year. With COVID being the last year and a half, year and a half or so, they, they estimate in the next year 16,000 churches will close their doors. 16,000 in the next year. And many of it, they can, if you read studies, it, it can go back to things like this. And it's, it's easy and it's our natural default to say, you know what? I want things my way. But what's interesting, as followers of Jesus, we don't live according to our way anymore. We die to that. We die to our old selves. And that's what baptism is symbolic of dying to our old self, dying to our old nature, and becoming image bearers of Christ. And, and Jesus said that when he was talking in, in the, the Last Supper, uh, talking in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he teaches us how to pray. And one thing he says is, like, be very careful how you pray. And then he adds this and that. He goes, may your kingdom come soon. So we're talking to God. May your will be, be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done. May your will be done. Jesus says, you should pray to God and say, God, your will be done. Not my will. May your will be done. What he's saying is that his way is greater than my way. That there's no I in church. Not in the spelling, not in the mission, not in the purpose. There's no I. That the church doesn't exist for your purpose or my pleasure. The church exists for who? For Jesus. Because Jesus said, it is my church. It is my community. It is my people who are gathered in my name. The church is here for one goal. Do you know every good team has a goal? Every good team has a goal. The Bulls, it's amazing. And you got to give credit to, to your boy Michael Jordan for this, right? Listen, he was so great. He was such a great leader that even through all the chaos, even through all the dysfunction, even through all of it, they stayed focused on their goal. And what was their goal? To win a championship. Their goal was in that final season was to win that final championship. That, that sixth championship. That was their goal. And he's like we're going to do whatever it takes. And they stayed so focused through the, the inner fighting. Through people wanting not to play their roles. Through all the chaos. Through the media. Through everything. They stayed focused on their goal. 
And it all built up to game six in Utah where Michael Jordan pushes off Byron Russell and hits the greatest shot in NBA history. And I believe as you watch that, it was a team that was so laser focused on their goal that they're like, we're not going to miss this. And do you know what our goal is that we got to be so laser focused on? You know what our championship is? Here it is. It's not to make you happy. It's not to sing only songs you like. It's not for things to look the way you want. It's not for your preferences to be met. The goal, and we've said this before, is so, so simple. To get people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. How do we win championships? We get as many people as we can who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. How do we win? It's real simple. We get as many people as we can who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. What is your goal? Real simple. To get as many people as you can who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. And, and the greatest person of all time to do this was Paul, who wrote that letter to the, first, the, first, uh, the church in Corinth. Well, also in that same letter, he says this. And this is why he was so good. And I've shared these verses with you before, but I want to share them again. He goes, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. To get people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. To the Jews, I became a, like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. And then he continues. He goes, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. Why? To win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To, the, to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Why do I do this? I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. He goes, listen, I didn't have to do this. To the Jews, I live like a Jew. To those, you know, the, the Gentiles, I live like the Gentiles. He goes, I didn't corrupt the God's moral standard. I lived the God's standard. He clearly says that. But he goes, I became all things to all people. So I might save some. He goes, I put away my wants. I put away my, my preferences. Put away some of my traditions. And this would have been a man who's so rich in tradition. You got to know his history. He, he was a Jew of all Jews. He knew the Torah, the law, his Bible at the time better than anybody around him. He goes, I, I gave up some of that. Why? That I might, that at the end of the day that I might save, he doesn't say all, but I might save some. That I might reach some with the gospel. And we see that the winning formula, because you if you're going to win a championship, you've got to have a winning formula, is giving up my wants. You say, I gave up my wants. Go back to the documentary. Michael Jordan had to learn to stop shooting every shot. He had to learn that, yeah, he can score 35 points every game and lose, or he can score 28 every night and win. Steve Kerr and John Paxson's of the worlds, they had to realize their shot is only going to come every once in a while, but they got to be ready. Scottie Pippen had to say, okay, I'm not the star. Michael's the star. They had to give up some of their wants to win a championship. 
And what Paul is saying is it's so clear. He's like, listen, church, at some point the rubber's going to hit the road. And you're going to be faced with a decision. Your wants and your desires or the gospel being spread. And at that moment, you're going to have to decide. What will you do to take, what will you give up? What will you do to win? How far will you possibly go? Again, we're not, say, we're not changing God's moral standard. We're not doing anything outside of God's law. But what would you do? He goes, because I became all things to all people. Why did I do this? To win as many as possible. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That I may share in its blessings. What, this is the mindset we have to have as a team. And it's hard. I get it. It's really hard. But we do this all for the sake of the gospel. Because winning, which is what? Reaching people for Christ outweighs the loss. What's the loss? Giving up my preferences and desires. Winning, getting people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus outweighs any personal preference that I may ever have. That means the church has to constantly be looking inside and saying, what, what are we doing? What are we doing to win? What are we doing to reach people for the sake of the gospel? Because if we let anything, music, lights, song choice, anything, get in the way of our goal of reaching people with the gospel, we lose. So if we want to become a winning team, uh, if we want to become a place where that Jesus called us to be a team, we have to do whatever it takes to get people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. That's the mission of the church. That's the purpose of the church. And you know what's awesome? On this journey, you're going to have different preferences than me. You're going to have different ideas than me. Some of your ideas are going to be good. Some are going to be bad. Some of my ideas are going to be bad. Some of your ideas are going to be bad. All right? But, you, but we're, we're united around the same goal. That's what's important. We have differences. That's great. The Bible tells us that, that we all have differences. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. And unity is not uniformity. We're not asking you all to form to what we're saying. God, Paul was not saying that. He's just saying, listen, as a team, stay united around the purpose of getting the gospel. And as a team, you will, find, you, you will be in touch with your community. And as a team, you will come together and say, what do we need to do to reach people who don't know Jesus? What do we need to do to get the gospel in the world? Unity is not uniformity. Does anybody know the purpose of a compass? What's the purpose of a compass? It's to point true north, isn't it? Right? To, to show you where north is. That, that's the purpose of a compass. Figure out where north is. Figure out which way you're heading. I'm not really good at using these, so you just got your phone, right? To tell you which way you're heading. But purpose of a compass is to let you know where north is and help you head in the right direction. The church is the compass that points the world and the, the true north. And what's, the tr what's true north? Jesus. We are the compass. The points an imperfect, broken world to a perfect Savior. And as a team, 
we head towards our true north, Jesus. Every Sunday, every morning we wake up, and what do we do as a team? We take as many people with us as we can. Paul says, you are the compass, points, and takes as many people with, with you as you can towards Jesus. That is our goal. That are, is our purpose. Because we hold the secret to the greatest news of all time. That Jesus came to this world to die for each and every one of us. Because we're sinful and we're broken. And through Jesus, we can have eternal life with God forever. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that Jesus is our true north. That he is the compass that guides us to the directions toward you. Father, and I, I pray that we become this community that continues to point people in your direction. Because that is why we're here. Father, and we need to be excellent in what we do in this building, but we don't amaze or reach the people by what happens in these seats or what, what we do on this stage. We reach the people with the gospel of Jesus by the way we live and how we treat one another. And that starts by treating this team with, with the way you have called us to live. Father, and if there's anyone here today for the first time that wants to step into this team that hasn't made that decision, Father, there'll be staff waiting for them right by the doors they came in on, God. And, and we want them to know that you can change their story. You can change their life. God, so I, I pray we leave today being a compass that's pouring the world to you because it's broken, it's sinful, and you're the only hope. To your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSCC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.